Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. It's pre-season training camp time. New kit, new teams, new teammates. All we need now are some races. On this edition, we talk to one of the most experienced riders on the Women's World Tour, the Australian Amanda Spratt, as she fights her way through her first European winter. New season also means new bikes, and we cast an eye over who's riding what in 2021. This is Ruler Conversations, brought to you by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. So multiple Australian road champion, world championship medalist, Olympian classics podium finisher, now leader of Team Bike Exchange, Amanda Spratt. Welcome to Ruler Conversations. Thanks very much. I quite liked that introduction. <laughs> uh, well, how are you? And also, where are you? You're in Europe at the moment rather than Australia, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So I have stayed here and just, well, I am experiencing my first European winter, which has been Good and bad as a Aussie kangaroo who's normally used to being in the heat now, but um, I'm coping well and I'm now in uh, just south of Valencia on the first official team camp for Team Bike Exchange this yeah this year. So it's exciting to get together with the team and meet some of my new teammates and start to get in some really quality hours on the bike. And how has training been going? Have you been able to get out where you are? Yeah, it's been going pretty well. So I spent uh, November and December um, between Italy and, and Switzerland. So, I mean, yeah, it was getting quite cold. I had some rides where I was trying to do four and five hours in sort of minus two, minus three. So that was definitely testing my character and I was sort of Googling how you know, how to survive a European winter and looking into the heated booties and, uh, you know, trying to do everything, everything that I could. But um, I feel quite proud that I got through it all. And just after Christmas, I escaped to Spain, a bit of warmer weather. So I'm, yeah, I must admit, I was quite happy once I saw the sun again and got to start, uh, yeah, putting in a few more hours on the bike. Uh, Do you think that experience of a European winter might actually help you when you start racing in, you know, in Belgium or or Holland, uh, hopefully soon? I think so. Yeah. I think, you know, in a normal year, I'm in Australia at this time of the year and it's 35, 40 degrees. So I'm certainly getting really well adapted to the heat. And then I normally come into Europe a bit later. So I think now I've, you know, I can always think to those big rides I did in those minus temperatures and, you know, I started to cope quite well with those. So I think it's, I'm well, I mean, I'm hoping, and I think even just mentally knowing that you can, that you can cope with that, I think should yeah, put me in a, in a better place once I get to Newsblad, which will be my first race. Now, in the past, you've been three times winner of the Women's Tour Down Under. And, and that's going ahead this year, isn't it? But in a, in a sort of different format. 
Yeah, so that's going ahead as part of the Santos um, Festival of Cycling. So unfortunately, not yeah, not a World Tour event this year with, uh, you know, the COVID restrictions and not, you know, the travel restrictions in place. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's pleasing to see that they can still have a race. And of course, um, our team bike exchange will, will be there with the sort of Aussie contingent. But yeah, it feels it's probably hitting me now that I'm not there and I'm not not going to be racing it. That's uh, a race that I that I really, really love. But yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to sort of not having the pressure this year and sitting back and then watching watching from here. So hopefully Het Noseblad is your is your first race. Then what, what's the rest of the season look like? I mean obviously everything is a little bit uncertain at the moment and, and likely possibly to change. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of yeah, you're kind of used to now having a calendar and then just saying, okay, this is the the calendar at the moment, but it could always change. But um yeah, starting with Het Newsblad and then yeah, I do Strada, Binder, and have sort of that focus around the Ardennes Classics period. And then looking more towards sort of Giro Olympics as my really big targets of the season. And then, yeah, the World Championships as well in Belgium. I think it's looking like kind of a classics course, and I'd really, really love to, to be there to support some of my teammates like Grace Brown, Sarah Roy, who I think that could really suit them. So, yeah, I, I'm really keen to also give back and, and support them for that goal, hopefully. Well, 2020 obviously was a, a challenging year for everyone, but last season for you was particularly up and down, wasn't it? Um, you seemed in really good form. Then you had that crash at the Giro Rosa, which put paid to a lot of your plans yeah roller coaster year like it started off super well in January winning nationals and and being on the podium in those other races and of course everything was building towards the world championships in that October period and then yeah we had the really unfortunate crash in in the Giro Rosa on stage seven which took out Annemiek and me and yeah I had quite a a bad concussion that that kept me out for yeah I mean a long time I only got to go back and race Flanders to support the team so yeah, not quite the season I'd been hoping for. And yeah, it was certainly a tough period. But um, I think, yeah, I was just grateful that I had the team and, and the support around me to kind of look after me and look after my long-term health. And I mean, if you'd asked me, I would have gone back and raced Worlds and raced the Ardennes. Um, but I do think it would have been risking my health. So it was good that I could sort of sit back and, and really trust the, the right people to make the decisions for me. Yeah, that's always a challenge with athletes, isn't it? Because athletes are always going to want to compete. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I just wanted to be on the start line and maybe even more so in 2020 because because we had such a condensed season and, and you felt like every race, you know, you just, you, ne- you never knew when your last race was going to be. Maybe everything would get cancelled after today's race. So you were kind of racing every race like it was your last one and there was sort of that bit of extra pressure or motivation to do something every time you lined up. And a, a team bike exchange uh, were Mitchelton Scott uh, previously. Um, and uh, this year, Annemiek van Vleuten has left. Uh, you're effectively the leader and it's still a still a strong squad isn't it yeah no it's it's really really strong I'm really really excited for this year obviously it is a big change with Annemiek leaving and yeah I mean I have to acknowledge how much I did learn from her in the last years but I do think it makes it really exciting this year moving on I think we already have a lot of strength in the team and maybe you haven't always seen that in the last few years and I think you know, I think Grace Brown's a perfect example of someone who was more working for the team in the last years. And and now she really got that opportunity, uh, even in Ardennes this, this year, um, Brabant's Appeal. So, um, sorry, in 2020. So I think that's going to be really exciting what she can do. And I think our biggest strength is just going to be how we can, you know, really work together and build each other up and really become a really, really strong unit. So I'm looking forward to helping create that. And um, yeah, I think we're all going to push each other. 
Uh, you are an active member of the Cyclists Alliance, which represents uh, women riders. And obviously, you know, COVID, the economic crisis, etc., has had an effect on all kinds of sport. But are, are there sort of particular challenges with women's bike racing, do you think? One of the challenges that we did have through the COVID period, and, and maybe more so once we, we started to race again, is that at the moment in women's cycling, we do have that sort of world tour level and everyone wants to be a world tour, you know, in a world tour team. And with women's cycling, we have more sort of that one calendar at the moment. And so whilst, you know, we did get quite a good calendar once we started again, um, a lot of those riders in, in the smaller teams, or I guess you'd call them more continental teams, maybe didn't really get a really big calendar or, or we're really struggling to get the race starts. So for me, that's something, yeah, that is still sort of missing in women's cycling. And I think, you know, we are quite a young sport to be realistic and still progressing, but I think that's something, you know, over the next few years, we really need to look and see what's the best way to make sure there can be, you know, if there's the top tier and if we can get races on that, that next tier under to kind of make almost two, two calendars. So we are making sure that if you're not a world tour rider or, you know, there's sort of that gap between the where you can still be getting races and progressing. And from what you've heard, from what, you know, the teams have been told, are we hoping for a relatively settled season this year in Europe? I mean, yeah, we all hope, don't we? Um, you know, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that we have to be, um, you know, able to cope with these changes at the last minute. But um, I mean, I take confidence out of, you know, races like the Flanders Classics in 2020, who just did a, a brilliant job of being able to hold the races and, uh, you know, the spectators weren't coming out. And I think, you know, that's an example of a race that did it really well. So I think, you know, more races that can follow sort of that procedure, uh, I think the more likely we can have a good calendar. But um, yeah, like anything in the, in the world at the moment, we're not 100% sure. But um, it's, yeah, it's starting off well so far. Do you miss the, the fans? Do you miss the spectators on, on the hills, especially in the Belgian races? Yeah, it, it's strange. I remember racing Flanders last year and going on the Eau de Quaramont. And at that point, you're in the finale of the race. And, you know, you're so used to having that extra boost of having the spectators there and, and cheering for everyone. And yeah, it felt really, really strange to race along there. And, you know, it's just silence. And certainly in Belgium, where it's such a such a huge sport and the spectators live for, live for that day. So that, that's definitely strange. But I mean, yeah, if, if we can still have the races and have it in a safe way. And, um, you know, I know all those Belgian fans would have been home watching from their television. If that's the way it can be and we can we can still have the racing and provide the entertainment, then I think, yeah, we're all happy to do that for now. OK, well, now I have to introduce you to a new feature in Rouleur magazine, which is a regular riders Q&A. And the idea is on this occasion, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Your answers will be uh, taken down and published in Rouleur magazine, but some of them will also be on this podcast. So um, shall we start with the first one? Where is the best place in the world you've ever cycled? I have to say my home in the Blue Mountains. So I'm fortunate to come um, from the yeah, World Heritage area and uh, where the three sisters are and yeah, just beautiful location. And for me, that's still, yeah, that's where my heart is, I guess, but it's still, I look forward to getting back there every year and, and riding along the, the cliff ridge and looking out and just seeing eucalyptus trees, the three sisters. Um, for me, that's still the most beautiful place in the world. What did you want to be when you were a kid? When I was a kid, I really wanted to be a marine biologist. So I had this fascination with, um, yeah, with fish and, and sea creatures. And I'm not sure if it's from our multiple family holidays 
to, to the beach and picking up shells and trying to work out what this or that was but um yeah I always thought that that's that's what I was going to be um I always did sport but at that point I wasn't thinking I was going to be a professional athlete in the future um do you have a hidden talent and if so what is it I can speak pig latin so I found that out um we had a team camp trivia night a few years ago and we had to say pig latin in pig latin which is igpe atenle and um, I was the only person who knew how to do that so that's my hidden talent Okay, you're going to have to explain that because I have no idea what Pig Latin is. Pig Latin is a, I guess it's like a kind of language. I used to use it with my brother, so my mum couldn't understand what we were saying. But you take off the first letter of a word and put it at the end with A. So Pig becomes Igpe and Latin becomes Atenle. So Igpe, Atenle. So my brother and I would talk in Pig Latin, so mum couldn't understand what we said. If you could change one thing in the world, what would it be? Uh, no COVID. I think that's an easy one right now that, yeah, that Corona is over. Have you ever been in trouble with the police? No, I'm an angel. Never? Not even going through a red light on your bike or anything? Not that I've been caught doing. <laughs> that's the trick. <laughs> what would your karaoke song be? Uh, girls just want to have fun. So we, yeah, normally at Tour Down Under every year, we have a tradition with the team that we have a karaoke night after it's finished. And yeah, we've that's probably a favourite one of mine and brings back good memories. You don't want to give us a couple of lines of it now? Girls just want to have fun. <laughs> yeah, all right. Karaoke, <laughs> not, not yeah. singer. <laughs> okay, um, next question is, who's the most famous person you've ever met? But before you answer that, I'm going to say uh, there's a few more questions left, which I'm going to keep on asking. Um, but if anyone wants to hear the answers to those, and I'm sure you will, uh, you'll need to subscribe to Ruler magazine and read them in there. So... For listeners of the podcast, Amanda Spratt of Team Bike Exchange, thank you for being such a good sport and answering the questions. And thank you for coming on Ruler Conversations. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Ruler Conversations, brought to you by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. Lacquer's collective cover is made especially for cyclists for life on and off your bike. They've transformed traditional insurance to provide customers with a fairer, collective-driven approach to cycle insurance. Say goodbye to fixed upfront premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. Your maximum monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. And they have some big news. Lacquer will be running its first ever crowdfunding campaign and offering equity for the pack. Cyclists have helped Lacquer bring a much better model of insurance to the masses. That's why they want to invite you to join the ride. They're pleased to be able to give Ruler listeners the opportunity to own a part of Lacquer. You can invest in the future of Lacquer from as little as £10 and become a huge part of their collective. To register and to find out more about Lacquer's crowdfunding campaign, head to lacquer.co. This announcement was approved by Cedars. When investing, your funds are at risk. If you subscribe to Ruler now, there's still a chance to get a copy of the excellent 100th edition. But hurry, because they're running out. And of course, you can subscribe to our sister Italian and Spanish editions, Ruler Italia and Volata. Now then. Here's an infomercial message for the discerning folk of Rulerland. For the finest long-form cycling journalism and exquisite photography and design, why don't you simply subscribe to Ruler magazine? It costs as little as £7 per month. Regular columnists include Orla Shenwi, Roman Bardet and me, Ned Bolting, accompanied by features from the best writers and photographers in the business. Simply go to ruler.cc. You know it makes sense. 
Uh, while you're there, check out a range of clothing and kit in the Ruler shop and a whole catalogue of articles on racing and technology. Well, speaking of technology, the riders on the World Tour may not be entirely sure which races they'll be doing this year, but they do know the bikes they're going to be riding, and some of them are definitely worth a closer look. Uh, Ruler's Peter Stewart joins me. Uh, Peter, has it been a year, you know, a winter of big changes and big surprises at all in the World Tour? Yeah, it certainly has. It's almost like a game of musical chairs amongst the World Tour teams with which bike sponsors with which team which is really interesting to see and we've got a few sponsors kind of revisiting the Grand Tour and some having a lot more presence now which is quite interesting but um, yeah it's definitely interesting from the tech perspective Now Ineos Grenadiers still predictably on Pinarello Dogmas aren't they? Yeah and I think that's a partnership that uh, it'll be really hard to shake and you know I only hear rumours but I think certain brands and possibly you know, people say specialised a bid for that many times trying to get that spot but Pinarello have invested a lot in keeping themselves as, the, as the, the key bike sponsor there and you know I don't know how much it costs but it's probably worth the cost knowing that most years they're going to get at least one Grand Tour victory and you know a lot of people when they're looking for the best bike on the market they'll think what's, what's the fastest rider in the world riding so Pinarello I think has really got a lot out of our partnership over the years and will be defending it quite strongly I expect. And that's the weird thing isn't it because the bike companies not only supply the bikes but also actually pay for for the privilege in most cases. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't understand how a bigger commitment it is um, because um, I, I heard this a few years ago and, and it's my knowledge it's correct that at the high end of Grand Tour, World Tour, you'll be looking at possibly as much as 400 units of bikes for the one team. And then, you know, at the entry level, it's 150 to 200 bikes so a team would require. And that's down to the fact you have to have training bikes and racing bikes. And also, you know, the, people won't thank me for saying this, but the bikes will, will just be damaged or crack, not through negligence and manufacture, but just for the fact that these guys are in high speed, you know, crashes a lot of the time. And there's only so much that a carbon bike can hold up to so there has to be a lot of stock they deliver and the cost of that stock alone often runs into the millions and then on top of that you'd expect a multi-million pound commitment from the bike sponsor to, to be attached to the team especially a top team so uh slightly lower down the ranking um Ajay de air citroen uh, they've swapped from eddie merckx to uh bmc this year but with campagnolo group sets which is quite interesting isn't it? yeah that's a weird one to get my head around it's not you don't see many bmc spec with campagnolo you know at the spec book it's a bit of a, a bmc is really ultra modern kind of kind of quite modernist looks to it edgy it's, it's, it's got swiss kind of precision all over it and which I, I associate more with with shimano's kind of slightly less characterful brand um or shram you know but campanello this italian romance which is still obviously a fantastic you know fantastic group set but it's just not something with bmc it's a bit of a clash but i quite like it but um yeah it's important as well that that's that's now two placements for bmc in the world tour so they're with edges dessert and also they're with um uh quebec Assos. so um there's quite a lot of presence now from bmc whereas it used to obviously be bmc racing which again being a title sponsor probably did them a lot of favors but now they've got two teams so probably going to see them you know more bmc's at the point of the world tour which is going to be interesting for the brand also talking of um, Italian romance, Ale BTC Ljubljana, which is going to be a mouthful for the commentators. Um, Cipollini with Campag group sets. You can't get more um, Italian than that, can you? I mean, the NK1K, which is the Cipollini kind of weapon of choice for races, I, I reviewed that bike years ago. I really love that bike. It's, it's so aggressive and it just feels, you know, if you blindfolded someone that's raced a lot and said, you know, what is a what is an Italian race experience? Yeah, that bike is like racing it. You know, you just feel this incredibly stiff, like it's so responsive, so changes speed so quickly, and it's it's not 
not very comfortable, but you kind of like it for it because it's it's just the character. It's you know, like the man himself, you know, all uh, you know, the kind of foibles, you know, exempted. But you know, just that aggressive, kind of unpredictable, loud character, which I really like um, in, in the bikes. And uh, yeah, it's good to see them, you know, on the, on the world tour, um, the women's side, you know, at least. And um, yeah, that, that's a bike brand I, I really enjoy, and I think it does, probably doesn't get enough visibility in the UK. And another great Italian brand, I really uh, love them, Willier, um, came back to uh, the World Tour last year, I think, didn't they, with Astana, and continuing this year as well. I was really happy to see that, and I think the Falante, which is the new bike they launched last year, that's a really interesting bike, and I'd like to see that, because then you kind of really like the, the racehorse of the brand, and that'll be interesting to see that showcased on the World Tour. On the whole, I think it's really nice to see Willier back in the World Tour, because that was a real big facet of their marketing in past decades, you know, being there... Um, in the in you know the Giro, the the Tour de France, and it was a little odd to see them sort of step down from that. And I think it's a sign that the brand's actually in a really better place financially, and um, for lots of reasons that it can be back in the World Tour as a as a key sponsor. So um, yeah, and it, it, you know I, I always enjoy riding Villiers for the same reason. Uh, probably like you know one tier down from Cipollini, but it's an aggressive bike to ride, and it's um, it, it's the handling is kind of unique with Villiers, very very sharp, and it definitely feels like an exciting bike. Now, on the uh, subject of um title sponsors Bahrain Merida are no longer Bahrain Merida they are this year Bahrain victorious um, still riding Merida bikes though yeah I mean Merida you know it's easy to forget that they're, they're a massive massive company really um, you know they are a, a manufacturer in the far east as much as they are a bike brand in a very similar way to giant bikes and um, you know for that reason you know while sometimes these brands and the actual big companies are separate they still are very you know, very, very big force and have a lot of marketing ability. So you really expect to see them in the World Tour. And the bikes, again, are, are very well engineered and, you know, they've got an eye on production. Uh, you know, um, mostly aluminium, in, in fairness, you know, these, these carbon manufactured bikes might be made by someone else. I don't know the specifics. That's all a, a murky world. It's quite hard to keep track of. But, um, but you know, they are a really reputable brand and, and uh, the, the Scultura has been a, a, a top, you know, Grand Tour all-round endurance racer for years and years. And uh, Reacto, as well, the Aero one, is a really nice bike which has sort of stepped down from a few years ago it was probably one of those committed aero bikes in the market where it was you know ultra aerodynamic and it was really made no concessions to comfort or anything like that and now it's a bit more rounded a bit more like we see from you know the madone or the venge you know which itself has gone out of uh well gone out of sort of production now being superseded by the tarmac sl7 yeah and uh quick step are still on the uh, specialised S-Works tarmac, aren't they? Um, continue for another year on that. Yeah, as I was saying, you know, the, the Venge was, was historically the kind of race bike and uh, the sprint bike, you know, the high-speed one versus the tarmac. And joining those two bikes together, um, you know, in a sense, you know, because I think the tarmac, as much as it's an update of the previous one, it really is a, a melding of the two bike kind of uh, families of the Venge and the Tarmac and that's really interesting and I think that means that the Tarmac SL7 really will be just the race bike you know next year because that'll be the one that's winning the sprints and it's going to be winning you know grand tour stages maybe even you know grand tour titles so it's um yeah you know specialized they, 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 their sports marketing is something they make a lot of effort with but they do it very well they have those key athletes that people have a huge you know passion for and over the years it, it, sometimes it wasn't obvious but you know, you look back and I think people like Contador who are always riding a Specialized, that was a big effort by Specialized to keep them in the teams. And similarly with Sagan, you know, just to make sure that they have those really key brand ambassadors. And I think it's worked really well for them because those personalities have delivered so much value and, you know, so recognisable. And also, you know, the bikes are fantastic. It's really hard to fault Tarmac as a bike. It, it, it's historically raised the bar. I've not had enough time to ride that one, but the previous Tarmac, you know, when it came out was 
really a step change in endurance bikes. It was fantastically quick and comfortable and did everything very, very well. So, um, yeah, if there's one bike kind of that I think a lot of the pros, you know, be happy to ride, I think the SL7 is definitely uh, really hits a sweet spot that people will be happy to be bored that. So Jumbo Visma still on Cervelo, Mobistar on Canyon and EF Education Pro on Cannondale. So there'll be some leery pink paint jobs probably there at some point during the season won't they? That's really smart from Cannondale and um, I think last year with the, with the Cannondale Palace collaboration you know I think Rear City EF aren't going to be collecting you know Grand Tour victories like every other team but that bike was probably the most photographed and shared bike the whole of last year you know that was you know with, with the Palace kind of a uh, kind of brand like duck kind of uh, paint job on it it really just stood out and um i thought that was really fun you know it, it shows that you can have a bit of fun in pro cycling you know some people thought it just looked silly but i think it took me back to the, you know the cooler days of the 80s and the 90s in pro cycling where people did look a bit ridiculous but it was all part of the, of the spirit of the sport and um yeah i think that's, that's smart on candale side and that's also a really good bike you know the system six is is, is, is a fantastic kind of um combination of aerodynamics and handling and comfort and everything really it's a it's an impressive impressive steed sorry i hate to say about steed but it's a very it's impressive impressive race bike so we're gonna to have to get used to uh calling sunweb dsm and to seeing them this year on scott bikes yeah that's going to be a really interesting shift because you know team dsn well back when it was sunweb went from giant to Cervelo, and you know now onto scott and uh for, for me that's a bit of a strange one because mitchelton scott has been with scott for so long and the yates brothers are almost synonymous with the brand and great brand ambassadors but um I think for both teams, it's it's a really interesting step forward with with um, you know Mitchell and Scott now Bike Exchange on Bianchi's and you know that's a fantastic bike brand and it's really good to see them continuing to be on the World Tour, being considered this World Tour pedigree brand. Yeah, certainly the Scott switch is one that uh, is going to be interesting for DSM and makes it almost quite difficult to recognise from its previous iteration. Now the one thing that is going to be really odd is seeing uh, Chris Froome not on the Dogma but on a factor with Israel's startup. I think that whole shift is, is already, you know, blowing people's mind because we've seen Froome with Oakley's and a cask and on board, on board a Pinarello for a decade and suddenly there's a switch and he's on a factor and it, it still, I look at it and I think, you know, it's like seeing it's an image out of place. I think for factor that will be a, a really big shift for them and, you know, I think Froome's presence on Israel is, is huge for the team um, and the sponsors will be, you know, really enjoying the extra visibility. I think regardless of what even happens this year already it's been such a significant step to have them on board and um yeah certainly factor you know is is a really small brand at the moment it's a british brand isn't it well it is a british brand yeah it actually began again that began in 2012 and you might people might remember this is quite niche but they created the factor 007 i believe it was called and that was like a really space age um conception which was um one-piece carbon fibre and all the cables were internally routed. It had its own bespoke cycling computer which tracked everything and I think it cost about £25,000. Was that the one with Aston Martin? It was, yeah, they did a collaboration with Aston Martin as well. I think it was BF1 Systems which was the, the kind of F1 company involved and it was effectively like F1 motorsport kind of engineers letting loose with bicycle design. Um, you know, that, those are that early that early bike. Um, maybe they sold them all, but it was you know a little too expensive and very difficult to ride. It was it was it was really made like a high performance car, and um, it, you know a unique piece of, of bicycle engineering. Um, over the years, factor sort of changed hands a bit in ownership, and um, now it's still got you know hints of that that initial design conception because the Viz Varez, which came after the, the 007 and that was actually quite reminiscent of that early quite innovative design and then the one um, is, is also you know 
sort of still has semblances of that original um, kind of out there motorsport kind of uh, yeah engineering behind it so it's an interesting story and I think uh, that's a brand I'd like to see do well and I think it's got roots all over the world now it's quite international but it still does have quite a big, big British base which is encouraging to see any really sort of uh, interesting new bits of technology I, I guess pretty much everyone is on discs now aren't they there's a few teams and riders sort of holding out I think there are some interesting steps forward with, with discs and again on that point actually we're British you know it's good to see Hunt Wheels um, with uh, Quebec or Assos so that's going to be you know because that's another small what has been a small British company stepping up to the world tour and those guys have really made made tubeless technology and disc brakes their own the whole time since they were founded but yeah I think you know, tubeless tyres we're seeing that come in a little bit to the world tour but I think yeah the biggest story probably is you know how um, pervasive disc brakes have become. It's clear that most riders are kind of looking at or considering disc brakes, but there's a few teams that are resiliently sticking to rim brakes, and uh, Ineos is one example of that, where I think the team has had Dogma F12 discs, but for the Tour de France, they're all seemingly on, on rim brakes, and um, I suppose that probably comes down to just considerations of weight and what you can kit the bikes with, because even with discs having come a long, long way, uh, you still do get a little weight saving, which means those riders can opt for more aerodynamic wheels or heavier, stiffer components elsewhere. I think it's a really interesting bike dynamic in the market because while I was once a big skeptic of the benefit of disc brakes, I can say now I think disc brake bikes are, with a few exceptions, just better for most, almost all riders. You know, the control, the options for having wider tyres, you know, wider rims. It, it's such a better kind of version of cycling for most consumers and uh you know having these pros are obviously so experienced at going down mountains at 80 kilometers an hour and bringing themselves to a stop at a hairpin corner but i know that when i've been braking on uh carbon rims in rain it's sometimes been absolutely terrifying because you just cannot come to a stop and yeah i don't envy them in those situations where they must have to be white knuckled just trying to you know slow that bike down but then yeah they've got the experience of years of doing that so i think you know but there's there's a bit of a divergence there between what pro cyclists need and what the average consumer needs and i think for most people discs are offer so much more control and safety and just a better riding experience and it's interesting to see you know the bike brands pushing that with the world tour teams and making sure that they're out there riding disc brake versions i think ultimately you need to keep in mind that these are guys that still ride tubular tires a lot of the time it's very different kind of technology to what most consumers need because even races very few go for tubular tires and so while you may see pro riders on tubular tires and rim brakes it's worth remembering this is a very specialist exercise in cycling it's not your sunday ride or even your sunday road race domestically in the uk it is you know pro riders with you know many support cars behind ready to flip out the wheels or change them and uh yeah it's different kind of cycling really but definitely as someone that's been on the tech side it's a really interesting time for pro cycling i think in terms of the bikes and uh i think it's it's offering the whole of the cycling world you know uh better bikes for them to ride in the future and a really nice showcase of what technology is out there okay peter thanks for joining us let's hope we actually see the bikes properly in action as much as possible this year that's it from this uh, ruler conversations there'll be a long reads along next week until then thanks for joining us Music.